0: So this is going to be after the introduction to abide. We are now going to do the authority topic which I talked about a little bit in the introduction when I went over the different topics of actually going into authority. Now I didn't get into a lot of it yesterday when I talked a lot about what abide was and I talked about um, how how I used to teach authority in like previous video series and before it was always about doctrine. I was always teaching what it meant to have authority through Christ Jesus. What did it mean to stand in a position in the spirit realm where you knew that you had an authority over anything that came against you? What was the doctrinal background? What was the scripture that lined up to that? And I kind of went into a space in those last couple years where I was getting the vision for this curriculum was the realization of The way that the church doesn't know authority is that they don't always live the way that Jesus lived. And so when people pray in the name of Jesus, they don't actually know the name that they're praying in. And so I would be told people would say to me, it's not just anybody can cast the spirit off somebody or anybody can cast the spirit off somebody in the name of Jesus. It says it in scripture. I was like, but yet in my experience, that's not what I saw. I saw some people could pray things out in the name of Jesus and see a release, and other people wouldn't. And does that mean somebody is more spiritual than the other? No, I don't believe that at all. But I actually believe that in some ways we pray in the name of Jesus out of religion. We pray in the name of Jesus because Scripture says that we were raised ending our prayer in Jesus' name. And, and yet there isn't movement in the spirit realm. Why? It says in Scripture, use the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. But why is there not movement? Because there's something in our heart that isn't actually aligning with that name that we're speaking of. They lack intimacy. The church lacks intimacy. If the church doesn't know the name of yet that they're praying to, Jesus is coming back for an intimate church. Yet the church doesn't know his name. So when they say that we pray it in his name, you will receive anything in my name. You pray in it. Jesus says this about to, when you pray to my father and you pray it in my name, you will receive what you ask for. I believe he's saying when you pray in my name, you know me, you know my will. So you speak out my will because you know my character and you know who I am. And so when you pray in that direction, there's an intimate relationship between you and Jesus that when you say his name, you acknowledge his presence in the room. Too many people pray in his name not acknowledging that his presence is actually in the room. They do it religiously. They do it because they were taught you end a prayer in the name of Jesus. And so when I had people tell me, I would be like, well, I had experiences where this person would get freed from something Yet, there were bigger struggles the person had on them that I couldn't necessarily go after in prayer. And I didn't understand that because scripture says, if I, in the name of Jesus, all demons have to go. So we have this authority that we carry. So why wasn't certain things moving? Because in that space that I was praying for that person, I didn't know Jesus intimately in the space in which they were battling. So it was not yet a devil I had come head to head with where Jesus (coughs) reigns in my life. Does that make sense? So I didn't actually carry an authority in that ground. So if I, for, for an example of this, I could have pray hope over somebody and that may battle suicide. And they could have a quicker release because I've come against the giant of suicide in my own life. Meaning I had to learn Jesus' resurrection life and intimacy within death and suicide. Wow. So the scripture that I came to give you life more abundant and the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy mm-hmm. had become truth to me. So it had become revelation. So when I spoke against something that was suicidal and hopelessness on somebody, I spoke from an intimate relationship of knowing the life of Jesus in my own life. It was ground I had already taken. Yeah. So then when somebody else came in and says, no, but I was taught over here that if I speak to that spirit in the name of Jesus or I speak hopeful for somebody in the name of Jesus, they just have to get it. Why are they not getting it? Did you claim that ground of hope in your own life that you know the abundant life of Jesus in that ground? Because when you have, you can partake, you can impart that ground into somebody else through his name in what, which it came from. And I believe that that's an element of authority that gets missed in people's lives. People want to go into somewhere and say, I want the anointing. I want to carry the anointing. Let's teach on the anointing. Let's teach on the gift of prophecy. No, let's teach on a crushing. (laughs) Let's teach on a fire. Let's teach on what it takes to gain the ground that Jesus died for us to have. That's the ground that Paul talks about. It's the ground of the suffering. It's the death and the life. And so there's an element that people can pray into something for somebody else in the name of Jesus because they know Jesus in that space. And because they know Jesus in that space, they're able to walk someone else into it Whoa. through that prayer of authority in that position behind Jesus Christ. And I believe that that is the shift in authority for people. It is not just a doctrine. I remember the first class that I had on the, the believer's authority. And I got the book. Never heard about authority. Never knew There was even demons that I had to deal with where I had a position of authority over them. And it's not just demons you have authority over. You have authority over the ground of the promises of Jesus Christ. The problem is, is the demons come to steal, steal the ground of the promises. So if we don't put those together, then you are focused on one or the other. Some people are just confessing promises, not having realization there's a war against your promise. The other people are just focused on the demons and not claiming the promise over here that has residence over the demonic over there. And so when the the eyes get positioned in the right way, then you realize they come together and Jesus stands over it. And so I remember there was this class, it was the believer's authority, and I went went into it for the first time, and everything in my life hit the fan because the devil was so terrified that I was going to hear there was a message of authority, that I was going to hear that through Jesus there was a crushing in the spirit realm that happened that I could stand behind. But do you know what happened? Everything in my life turned upside down. Every demon in hell came against me. I had physical pain go through my whole body, both my legs. I had a hard time walking just when I started going into the class. I ended up in the hospital for three days. Like, I had all this stuff happen to me just because the enemy was afraid of this message. And yet the message I was only getting presented was the doctrine behind this. It was just the doctrine. All it was was, this is truth. It's in scripture. Never been taught to me before. So you do have to start to a place where you see it in scripture And we say this is real. It does talk about that we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, that we have been raised and heir to the throne, that everything is under our feet through his name. Why do we not live in that way? Because we don't know the name in which we've been given this. We don't know him face to face. Lacking intimacy. It's lacking getting that ground. And so I know that when God was saying, okay, now I'm going to take you into a different space of authority. You've been teaching this for years. This was my, one of my go-tos. The identity in Christ and the authority messages were always the messages I gave with inner healing and telling people how to get free. Always these messages. God said, I'm taking you to a new revelation of authority because it's, it is stepping stones. People understand this. You don't just walk in it because you've used my name. You have to know me. And so I was like, so what is it, God? And he, and he, I felt that the Holy Spirit said, go to the Gospels. I want you to study the Gospels, taking you into a season of Jesus' life. And it was over a summer, and I would play the Gospels all night long on my iPad or on my phone when I slept. And I started studying, started being taken. I kept realizing, kept waking up, and I'd be in John 6. John 6, if you know, is the is story where Jesus offended everybody with the message of being the bread of life. Yet it's not in any other of the Gospels. This is only in one Gospel, but this is the biggest time that he offends the entire crowd. What's interesting about this text is... Is that right before he goes into this, the entire crowd is running after him to make him king, and he's hiding out from them. They want to make him king. They're so excited because of the miracles that he's doing. Then he goes into this message that offends them, it offends the way that they wanted to see him. And this is where where we we step into intimacy within the church. Because when something happens in your life that seems offensive because it's just not okay, we shift. I'm offended by you, Father. And you shift in intimacy. Because something happens that you're not okay with. It's how you define Jesus. It's how you define his character. It's how you see him. And that's when it comes, when the spinning and the crushing and the things don't make sense, if it doesn't drive you to intimacy, it drives you away from intimacy. So I know the Holy Spirit was showing me it's eating the bread of life. Now, in the scripture in um, John 6, he actually says, they, they said, you know, they talked about Moses gave us manna. You know, they wanted to see another miracle from him. And uh, hold on because I have a ton of it on here. So they say, "Show us the miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat." Jesus says, "I tell you the truth, Moses didn't, didn't give bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread, of, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now he talks earlier uh, about it, he's saying, you don't want me for what you think you want me for. They wanted to see something, yet he had been performing miracles. And he's saying, no, I'm giving you the eternal thing. Every person in their life has manna. They have manna. They have the things that they want to see in the natural that are good and good from God, what they believe is good from God. That's their manna. It's not sustainable food. It's an everyday occurrence. It's an everything thing you see in the natural. The bread of life is not in the natural, it's in the spirit. Mm -hmm. It'll shift what you see in the natural. All of a sudden manna becomes real manna, meaning it it doesn't sustain. It's an unsustainable joy. Mm -hmm. And when the church shifts the way that they see that the things that they get every day and believing that's their experience because it's miraculous Mm -hmm. in the natural, doesn't mean that God doesn't move in the natural. He does do miraculous things in the natural. But I believe it's manna if you don't have intimacy. Yeah. It's not sustainable. How many people do you know that go to conferences for the high? Wow. Doesn't sustain. Really they go to get laid out, yet they don't have it at home. Why aren't they laid out at home? Mm. That's their manna. It is God. It's movement. Manna was from God in the wilderness. It was from God. It came through Moses. By, by Moses performing the miracle. It did come from God. It didn't sustain them. So there's things that will come in your life, you experience in your life, that is power. If it doesn't sustain you, you lack intimacy. Because the bread of life is the true power to where the miraculous and the manna is just a sign of his character. So that when you don't see the miraculous and you don't see the manna, you're still sustained by the bread of life. And so I knew that God was saying, you've been in manna. You've had lots of manna, Sarah. You're doing ministry and getting to see my power left and right, left and right. But yet you still spin every day. I could never get quiet with the Holy Spirit. I could enter in. I could experience him. It wasn't like he wasn't real. He's very real. He always has been in my face. But there was something that was still moving too much in me. But I still saw power. I still had the manna. He said, you're lacking the bread of life. The bread of life is going to come from the spinning. Because it's gonna shove you into the arms till the spinning stops in your mind and it can take a very long time. And so he's saying, I'm gonna take you to understand a new level of authority. Because I prayed that I would walk in more authority doing the ministry that I was doing. So he says, Okay, you wanna pray for that? Okay. <laughs> it's like pray for patience, yeah. It's anytime you want to pray for something like that, just wait. It doesn't mean that your life becomes so great. It means that God's going to turn it upside down for you to get revelation because revelation comes from backwards thinking. And so it was like, okay, now I'm going to take you into what this really means. I need you to look at Jesus's life. You want his authority? The church has been given his authority. Why are you not walking in it? How do we look at his life? But you see manna, so you think you are walking in it. No, because you see manna doesn't mean that you're higher or above or you're walking in something. It doesn't mean that. Too many people think and look at the anointing on somebody and believe that, hey, they got a it going on. No, Jesus just likes to drop manna randomly. Sometimes he likes to mess with us in the way that he'll bring manna to us. Meaning that it doesn't mean that that person is at a different level because of what is flowing through them. It's just not like that. And so I know he's saying, okay, well, you're seeing the manna, you're seeing this, but you're not sustained if I removed that manna. You would spin if you didn't see those little movements of me. You wouldn't sustain because you don't know me. So if you want to know my son's authority, then look at how he lives. This is a message of authority that isn't really given. Because this is a message of authority that's going to break the soul. That's going to tell you how to live a different way in order to know the name in which you pray behind. If you want to be able to walk around and cast demons off everybody that you meet.
1: And not even that, if
0: you want to walk around in freedom... You want to walk around and just walk in his presence that things don't bother you the same. Authority is not just about deliverance and about the demonic. Authority is about walking in the ground that are the promises from Jesus Christ. It's the true manna, the true bread of life. It's not something in the natural. It's in the spirit. Then everything in the natural then shifts. It just flips. Manna actually unrecognizable man in your life will become recognizable, meaning the movement in your life that is from God that you don't recognize because you're so focused on something else will become recognizable that it is his power. Because too many times God is moving in people's lives, he's speaking to them, but they are so focused on everything else, they don't know it's him, and they don't know that that's his his way of moving, and that's actually power. There's actually miracles happening. He was actually speaking to you. He actually set that up over there. It's not recognizable because they don't know him. They're looking for the big shabam. So you see people who repeatedly go to these experiences, these conferences, and needing to get something. Oh, looking forward to it. I've had, you know, going through a rough time and go get hit over here. But they keep going, keep going, keep going. It's the manna. I was like, okay, okay, God, what, what is this? What do you want to show me in his life? And I know he said three very specific things. It was obedience, it was intimacy, and it was sacrifice.
1: And it was the way that
0: we were to look at those areas in our life. Because those are the key core things that Jesus Christ lived every single day that never changed and never moved on him, and no matter what he did. And too many times people look at Jesus, that he was the son of God, so it was easy for him to give his life and he didn't have his own will. No, he had his own will. And that was a messy thing for me to study out. Because when I really started studying into the fact that Jesus had his own will, because he says multiple times, not my will, but your will be done, meaning that there was a human will aligning there. Why did he say it? I know at least four scriptures, three or four scriptures where he says that. If he didn't have his own human will, then he wouldn't be asking God, not your will. Don't take this cup of suffering from me. He asked God to take it from him. But I want your will, God, so I'll do it. And I'll cry tears of blood knowing what I'm stepping into. He was human. And in this season, God had me study that. Now, I've been so indoctrinated that there is nothing that I could say about Jesus that I could actually be because I was a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, he was human, I don't know. No, he was he was fully God. There's something that messes you up in those two because you're gonna pick, did this just turn off? Hello? It's okay. Huh, it's okay. I don't care that this is on camera. It's okay. Is this on? Okay. Um. Uh, hello? Okay. Um, where, what did I say? Human and God. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Because I was always taught, you know, you're a sinner saved by grace. But yes, Jesus was a human. But there was such more of a focus that he was God that I never reconciled the fact that he was actually human mm-hmm. in the form of God. Meaning there was a reason he was given a flesh body. Because it was so that we could have a high priest that, underst- that we understood that understood us. Yeah. Who walked in what we walked in. There's no way we can debate him. God, you don't get me. You don't understand this. No, Jesus does. He had the same temptations. And so when I went into studying this, it messed me up a little bit. Because in some ways, I was like, wait, God, did you not anoint him with your spirit until John the Baptist baptized him? That messed with me a little bit.
1: I was like, was he
0: not able to perform miracles? He was God. He was you. Hey, there's some doctrinal things that will mess you up when you study out that Jesus was human. There's some things that could be arguable that you'd be like, whoa, he was more human than I realized, but yet he was God. He didn't perform perform miracles, though, until the Spirit dropped on him. And I started looking at this stuff, and I was like, wow, there's much more to his life, God, that you're saying is attainable for the church. There's a purpose you did it this way. He could have been performing miracles before he was baptized. Oh, you wanted him to be recognizable to the church. Why are we not recognizing him that way? (laughs) That this is something we can go after. So I went into like studying this. It was messing me up. I needed to like debate people because I was like, I know that there's actually people in the church that were saying, no, he was not anointed. He didn't have that anointing on him to do the miracles until after the baptism. Some people don't go there with, with the argument. But in scripture, that's what it shows, that he didn't do the miracles until he was baptized and the dove came on him and the Holy Spirit came on him. So that got messy for me. I started realizing, wow, he was more human than I realized. He says so many times, not my will, your will. Yeah. God, what was the pain that Jesus had? What was the sacrifice that he really did? He really did walk in this obedience and intimacy that you're calling us to walk in. He really did put this stuff down. This is something you did on purpose, because this was God. He's God. Why did you choose to make it this way, Father? You chose it this way. You could have done it anyway, because he wanted to make something attainable for us. He wanted to make it attainable. Yet our religious minds, it makes us feel better to be worse, sinners saved from grace, not attainable. To walk in what Jesus walked in, it makes you feel better. Because then it's an okay padding on your sin and and how you live. Makes you feel it's okay because Jesus, it was just, he's the son of God. He could do all these things. He could live this way. There's a purpose. He lived this way. He's calling us to live the way he lives. It's an attainable lifestyle for us. And so then I knew he was telling me, you want to walk in the authority. The church wants to walk in my son's name. They better run after the way he lives. He broke his will every day to fulfill what I wanted. Sacrifice is not getting on a food train at your church. (laughs) Seriously. Like, I think we think in, in sacrifice, we're like, oh, I'm sacrificial because the missionary stayed in my back bedroom for two weeks when they visited. I'm sacrificial because I took food to the sick person down the street. The true sacrifice in the church is laying down your life before God, being called into some messy stuff when you do it. That maybe the people that you thought you had to sacrifice for, the ones that oppose you because you're sacrificing for him. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes not going to be a recognizable in the church type of sacrifice. Because that type of sacrifice to me is something that we've just boxed in as sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Jesus' sacrifice was unto the Father then for us. It was not for us before the Father. It was unto the Father under obedience then to us. We sacrifice for people because we feel, as Christians, it's our duty. And that must be what God means, his love. That's his love. How do you know what his love is? Sometimes his love may twist you up because the sacrifice may be backwards for you. And I I know the perfect example. This is when I was doing this curriculum. This is what happened. I had a very, very close friend of mine, like a best, best friend. And she became super attached to me and everything that, like, uh, just kind of put me on this pedestal. And to always, I felt like I was always having to save her and do things. And she became somebody that I was, I loved so much and cared for. And I wanted to help her and help her go to these places. And God came in and flipped me off my pedestal. Flipped me off my pedestal. He wouldn't allow me to say the truth to what happened between us. When something got shifted and twisted my character and my reputation towards her, and He wouldn't let me defend it. And he severed our relationship. He would not let me come in and fix it. And he said, I'm taking you off from being a savior. And although it seems like this is, would be sacrifice to love her and care for her and help her, it's not. I'm going to break you in front of her so that I become the true God. And that was sacrifice unto him. I lost my friendship over it. I never got to defend my character. Things were lied about me and said about me. He said, you have to take it. He, I'm her God. I will save her. And completely, I had to walk away from the relationship because it got so twisted and what was being said about me, and I couldn't defend it. He told me I couldn't. And he said, this is sacrifice, Sarah. You thought helping her was sacrificial because you were loving her for me. No, you need to love me before you love her. And my love for her is going to look different because I need to be her savior. And what it looked like is that I did something very bad, meaning that it broke her too. Meaning that he was saying, I'm okay with her being broken and you being broken. I'm the savior. Sacrifice shifted for me in that moment because it was so incredibly hard. I still haven't had restoration with it It's been a year and a half. I had to take it this whole time and I had to end it I had to completely cut the relationship off because of what it turned into and because he said you will not defend yourself So in conversations, I never could say what was truth. I had to take the hit And so it was like I had to just end it and walk away. That was a shift of sacrifice for me It was a new revelation of what true sacrifice was. It wasn't what I would think it would be. He said, it's to me before it's to man. And I realized that in in the Gospels, this is what Jesus is talking about. He says, not not my will, it's your will. It's like, when are we in the church? That's the only way we're going to live. That it's not our will. Our will is gone. It's out of here. But the problem is, is our will is so strong that how do you subdue the will? How do you shut down the will so that you just operate in his will? Walk in the spirit. Walk in just the way he wants to walk where it's not always painful. To where you get to a place where it becomes easy. Comes from intimacy. Comes from the bread of life. It comes from knowing him that way. It comes from not needing manna. So he, he offends the entire group of people. They say, this is too hard of a message. When he says that this is what, I am the bread of life. They said, how how can you do this? Isn't this Joseph's son? How are you the bread of life? This is too harsh of a message. They just wanted to make him king. And all of a sudden, because the message gets harsh, they all walk away. And only the disciples say, he goes, are you going to leave now too? Jesus wasn't too worried about offending people. Sometimes we get so offended by him. And that keeps us from coming back to him. When if the only thing, if we came back to him, then we realized that the bread of life is the only thing that will sustain us. And yet in your normal man, it's offensive because it's a hard way of living because it might be a very lonely way of living. I went into an extremely lonely place when he called me into the space of learning what it was to be intimate. Meaning I had, it was almost like I lost everybody. My reputation was talked about, things were said about me. He wouldn't let me come against because he's teaching me what is true intimacy of knowing me above anything else, sacrificing me, Sacrificing yourself unto me about anything else, that is the bread of life. That is when you know me at a level that you don't know people. It's a shifting in the way that you live, a shifting of obedience, a shifting of sacrifice, a shifting of those ways of what true intimacy is. And so I got shoved in this space of, hey, God, I want to know your son and what it does it mean to have the bread of life every day, that that's the sustainable place that I have to be. It takes desperation. You get, st- you get thrown to your knees get thrown to a space of getting in front of him broken to get to know him that way. If somebody thinks when your life is all dandy, that's the time you're going to get to know Jesus intimately, I think that's a load of crap. I do. I think it's a load of crap. I almost think it's impossible. I think, how do you think when your life is doing okay that that's the time that you're going to go get thrown into intimacy with Jesus? No, that's the time that you're going to feel good about yourself and that you can keep going. Everything's nice and jolly. It's okay when the things get turned upside down if it throws you into a space of intimacy. Because in that place where you are eating and drinking him and knowing him at another level, everything around you will begin to shift and change. It's that level of obedience. It's the level of sacrifice. And I started realizing that in my life when it came to to the sacrificial obedience of the way that I lived, that it was going to be an insane crushing. It was going to be taking rejection from people. It was going to be letting my reputation get hit. It was going to be being okay with not knowing where money would come from. It was going to be with living like a space that is not normal, that people could talk about and go, what is she doing? It's not normal. And that's the place where the manna and the bread of life become real to you. And it's an okay place to be. And so it was a whole new way of God talking to me about authority. A whole new way. I had never, ever, ever felt that I would see authority from this perspective. He was changing my perspective to be able to teach this subject. We cannot just be taught that you say and believe something in Jesus' name, you can overcome every enemy in your life. If you don't know the Son of God, if you don't know him intimately, if you don't know his life, if you've not crushed your own will, then you will not walk in the things that He has placed on you to walk in. You will not be his hands and feet. And God is calling for the church to be his hands and feet. You can't be the hands and feet of somebody that you don't know. And for too long, I was getting to see manna. I was getting to see power. I knew him in a certain way, but I didn't know him to sustain me because the things in my past were too strong. They were too powerful. They were too much breaking still in my heart and in my soul. And that crushing was the place that I had to go to to step into what it was true intimacy. And so when I know that God was giving me this thing of abide, he was going to weave in and out what a person walks through to abide in him and walk in these places where you have authority, where you have dominion, where you have this place that is higher above any way that you've ever lived before through wisdom and revelation. And that space is the abiding all the time. And so many people think the word abide, they think, oh, it's just rest. No, it's not. (laughs) It can be a complete storm in your life. Abide just means you're in him. The true rest of God isn't what you think is rest. Rest is translated like four different ways in scripture. So many times people will just want to think, well, rest just means that you're like, ah. Oh. Like, yeah, there's an element. The abide is, is a peace, But more than that, it's a sustainable joy. It's a sustainable joy. It's a sustainable of all the fruits of the spirit. Meaning it's a sustainable power. It's the sustainable of all of it. It's not just what, what you think abiding would be. There's so much more power to it. Like I said before, deliverance wouldn't be needed. You wouldn't need it. None of it would be needed. When you walk in the mind of Christ and you walk in the spirit, like in Romans 8, when you walk in that space, none of the other things are needed. I believe there was such a revelation on Paul's life. There was such a revelation. He had such, He had been sh- sh- smacked so hard. He walked through so much stuff. There was something that was so shifted in his spirit. That over time it had taken such residence over his natural. That he's trying to teach the church how to live like that. But unfortunately what we need is piece by piece. Sometimes we can't just take the text. You have the mind of Christ and get it. Unfortunately. Or that you're a new creation and just get it. So many times, so many things were spoken over me and I couldn't just get it. Why? Because I lacked the bread of life. It all comes from the bread of life. It all comes from Jesus Christ. I lacked that. So when you pray and you want to pray in authority, you want to understand spiritual warfare, you better know the name and what you're praying about. Anytime I'm praying for somebody and praying in his name, I I believe I see Jesus in the room. I ask, where are you? I want to see him. I'll I'll ask him, will you walk in so I can see you in my spirit? Believe that you're here, that your presence is here. Acknowledging that he is real. He's like, my church doesn't acknowledge me. I believe, though they say it nice and religious at the end of a prayer, but do they acknowledge me in the room? I don't know. I see more spirits of unbelief that are more louder than his voice. That are capturing the words that are coming from the speaker Louder because the people in that chair don't see the Jesus that's standing in front of them. The intimate space. Because when you see the Jesus standing in front of you, words can't be captured in the spirit any longer. Unbelief can't sit on you. Faith sits on you. Power sits on you. Every way that you pray and speak changes when you see that he's there, present, watching. I believe that he sits there going, I'm not being acknowledged. I'm not being acknowledged in here. They religiously acknowledge me, but if I came and turned up the tables and twisted the tables in the temple and threw them upside down, would they see me then? Because that's what I'm about to do. Jesus is about to flip tables. He's about to flip tables, and he's asking if people are ready for it. Are you ready for the tables to be flipped in your life? Are you ready to see that I do flip tables? Do you believe me to flip tables? He's going to flip some tables. That's what he's doing. He's coming back to flip some tables. (laughs) Oh, I'm getting this so strong right now. Jesus has got a message right now for the church. He's coming back to flip some tables. Uh (laughs) Acknowledging and seeing what tables he's going to flip in your life in order for you to see that he's there and that he's present. Oh, he's shifting things. He's moving things. And he's coming to stir up the rooms. He's coming to stir up the churches. He's coming to stir up the people. And he's going to come in and flip some stuff upside down. To pour in the new wineskin and give the new keys of what's coming. Of the spirit of God that's being released. And so I just know that he wants, he wanted to show me a different way. Of seeing what it is to walk in that authority that is promised to the church and get out of wanting the power experience want him too many people want to see the power experience not him Mm -hmm. he is the power but you want the power experience because you want the manna he says I want you to want me not the power experience what if I didn't let you see power but I let you see me You have the other side. You have the other side where people just want to see power because it gets them excited like they're the ones actually doing it. When are people going to see me above any of it? It's a whole new way of seeing. And I know what it is to go after wanting to see that stuff. I did it in deliverance. It was exciting to see somebody set free. But all of a sudden, God was saying, do you see the person before you see the demon do you acknowledge that this is my child before you want to see you the power? Whoa. I did that too much. I got too excited about the deliverance. I didn't see the person that he loved. We gotta get free of a power experience. Yeah. The power will come in the intimacy, and that's not it's not unsustainable. It is sustainable. I believe it's just a new way of living, shifting your eyes and seeing things in order to walk in that space where you claim the ground every day and you release that ground into other people's lives. Like true authority to me was that I would walk in a place where I could pray over people and under the authority that I knew that I was given through Christ Jesus, I could see them free. That was the way that I wanted people to understand that authority. But if you have not claimed the ground of intimacy of obedience, of sacrifice, if you don't know that ground in your life through Jesus Christ, then there are certain things that you're just not going to see move in your life. So if this message can be taken any way, it is to shove people into the arms of the Father to know the Son, to know Him, to know Him, to eat, breathe Him, and drink Him every day. And that's where I believe that true revelation of authority comes from. Where you walk in that position every day. And it goes more into like identity. When I go into the. It's a battleground. And then it's identity. After that. I go more into into what it is to shift your heart and mind. And the revelation of understanding these things. It is not just a doctrinal. Scripture says it and have it. How do we have these things every day? How do we walk in these things that are promised in scripture? And so I'm just going to close this down in prayer. The next video is Battleground, even though I talked about it previously in the intro video. We skipped into authority, and then it goes into Battleground. After that is going to be identity. So let me just pray it down, and then we'll, we'll be done. Holy Spirit, I thank you, God. We thank you, Father, that any authority that we are walking in in the church is because of your Son, God. It is not because of us, Father. I pray that we wouldn't be in a power struggle, Father, in the way that we want to see things, God, but that we just want to know your son, Lord. We welcome him, God, to shift things, to flip tables, do what he wants to do, God, and what you're bringing back, Father. You are coming back for a church that knows your son, Lord. So I pray that people would know you in a new way. I pray that there's an impartation on this video right now that touches hearts, crushes souls to get before you, to know who you are face-to-face. I pray that over people watching, people listening. God, that they're taking it into a space, God, that may be unrecognizable to them, Father. But in that space, Lord, your son becomes recognizable to them. That they walk in that place, God, where they don't need anything else. They only need your son. That that is the bread of life. That manna no longer is what they look for. They look for you. Yes. That manna just becomes an exciting blessing that comes along with the intimacy of the bread of life. We learn the true sustainable joy God, the true sustainable hope, the true sustainable bread through your son, Father. I speak that over this video. I speak it over the people watching. I speak over the new wine, the new wine being poured out. I speak the new wineskin of endurance over people. A new structuring God of your church, Lord, knowing you more, Father. That they would know you more, God. I release right now in the name of Jesus an anointing over everybody's minds that want to know you more. I speak joy right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. I impart a spirit of joy, God. I pray that there's hope that gets released through this video, God. I pray that it makes people get on their knees before you, Lord. That they run after you, Father. To know you in a way that they never have before, Lord. We no longer care about ourselves, God. We care about you. We are willing to sacrifice ourselves, lay down ourselves before you, God. Get obedient unto you, Father, to know your will above all other will, Father. That our will get subdued under your will, God, that we only know your will, Lord. Let us align our minds with your mind, God, in the name of Jesus, Father. Let them know the name in which they pray behind. Let they know the name, God, know his name face to face when they pray his name, Father. Let that name become real, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Woo, got done. And I forgot to record it. Darn it. I recorded everything. Oh, you did? Yeah, I got it too. Oh, you do? Yeah. Sweet. What do you guys record on? The voice memo? Yeah. I did it on a private Facebook. Oh, you did? So I can just remove the audio off of it. Yeah. Cool. When it, the the thing is, when you do it on your phone, it's hard to save the file unless you like save it to Dropbox. It's too big. Yeah. When people try to email it to me, it doesn't come through. That's yeah, that's very true. So it's like it has to get saved to like a file. Yeah. Why can't you airdrop it? Oh, you could airdrop it to me. Yes, like really. Let's do that. Really <laughs> that way. It's-